There are a lot of people who lie and get away with it. This week on Inside Jobs, Brian, Jean, and Lee investigate the CAA coup in Guatemala. In the early 1950s, democratic politics in Latin America threatened the rapacious business practices of the United Fruit Company. The American organization, known locally as the Octopus, used aggressive red-baiting propaganda and high-level contacts to force the CIA to overthrow the president of Guatemala and install an autocratic dictator. Joining me to discuss the 1954 CIA coup in Guatemala are civilian investigator Eugene Fruit Company O'Neill, smoking, and conspiracy expert Lee Golden. Buenos dias, senors. I'm historian Brian Lane. Welcome to Inside Jobs. Guys, this one is going to be a little bit of a doozy. About time. <laughs> We've been rather yeah. doozy-less lately. Yeah, the last couple laps have been really lacking in the doozy department. Yeah, really thin, not a lot of substance. Yeah. We shouldn't have even wasted the time recording them. <laughs> yeah. We sh we definitely should have wasted people's time listening to them, though. Yeah, that was definitely. That was a good move on our part. <laughs> right. Great job, guys. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Fight I... those guys anyway. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm pretty excited about this show because this... Uh, as I was talking to Lee before the show, while Gene was shitting, uh, <laughs> I was not shitting you, asshole. So he says. Uh, no, it's really interesting to look into things during the fifties because you you sort is of stumble. You do it is because you sort of stumble across all these players that were later very important for you know other conspiracies like Howard Hunt and uh, you know Alan Dulles and all these sorts of characters who were later you know. Implicated in the JFK and the um, uh, Watergate and that sort of thing. So Guatemala is basically like the Butch and Sundance, the early years prequel to all of the great Cold War conspiracies we've covered in other episodes. Yes, which uh, or or it's possibly the Chinatown to the two Jakes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's it's really it's really intense and and. Gene, before we start getting into it, um, you were the one who actually suggested this topic, and I was just curious if you might explain why. Uh, why? Yeah. Uh, just because I thought we're running out of assassinations and we should maybe talk about other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> was I supposed to have a better answer than that? Well, I thought I, you had said that it's interesting because it's one of the earliest CIA coups. Right. It is kind of the grandfather, the, the granddaddy of CIA coups. Um, I, I think we would have, I don't think it was the very first one that we did. The real Iran, well, I think, was the Yeah, one Iran that. was the, pre, the year previous. Right. But this was the one that just we did oh so well. Like it was, <laughs> it was the first, uh, I want to say it was a bloodless coup that we engineered. Um, but a lot of not, people ended up Not bad. really true. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, we didn't have to kill the leader, though. We didn't have to kill the democratically elected leader. We didn't have to do it. We right. got we got other people to do it. Um, we go, Basically, uh, motivating a nation to 
basically go against their own interests, their own self-interests. I, it was I mean, yeah, our like, own. I think that it, the, the you know one of the really interesting parts is as opposed to Iran, which had considerable blowback, the U.S. has never really paid any sort of price for what they did in Guatemala. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they, they were really good sports about it. Unlike <laughs> some people, we could mention. Oh, this is already terrible. There are going to be so many awful jokes about this. Um, but yeah, I think in order to really get into uh, talking about the coup uh, in Guatemala in 1954, it's important to really talk about the background of the basis for U.S. intervention in Latin America, which goes back a considerable number of years. Um, so if you go back to the early 1800s, about 1820s, uh, the U.S. was still a fledgling power. It had already had some military conflicts with Europe in the form of like the War of 1812, as well as North Africa. And uh, but it was still, you know, still getting its bearings in terms of a, a functioning country. Um, however, a lot of countries in Latin America had, you know, followed the example of the of the American Revolution and had turned away all of the European uh uh, empires that were uh, occupying it. So by the 1820s, it was really, you know, a hemisphere of independent countries. Um, you know, people like Simon Bolivar and uh, that sort had uh, had had been able to wage revolutions. And so Monroe, President Monroe, had issued the Monroe Doctrine, which was a, a statement that if Europe ever tried to involve itself in the affairs of the Western Hemisphere, the United States would prevent it. And while that sounds kind of kind, uh, as in like uh, like a protection relationship, it was actually so that the United States could, could protect their up. own interests. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so there's actually a very long history of um, uh private companies involving themselves in the affairs of Latin America. And uh, there, if you want to see a kind of insane movie about um, uh, starring Ed Harris, which America's favorite actor, uh, there's this film called Walker about this guy named William Walker, who was uh, basically a pirate. Um, he invaded Nicaragua using like Cornelius Vanderbilt's investments and declared himself president with just like a private army, and that sort of thing was very fairly common all through the nineteenth century, uh, until private companies realized, hey, we should just go down there and uh, and do shit ourselves. Yeah, and Brian, would and, you say there was a long history of American businesses involving themselves in the affairs of South American countries? You imply that this is somehow ended <laughs> and is not happening anymore. <laughs> it is. It, yes, it is. Uh, to sort of jump ahead, as recently as uh, 2007, Chiquita, which uh, is what um, the United Fruit the Company, became. United Fruit Company became, had, was uh, was found guilty of murdering strikers. <laughs> okay, uh, pardon pardon that, but um, yeah, the United Fruit Company was a real force in Latin America. And it seems crazy to, to say, but in about 1901, the United Fruit Company had a monopoly on fruit in South America. And this is a company that was run out of Boston. 
And they basically went around Latin America buying up land for, you know, well undervalued in these countries that basically had feudal governments. And so they had all this land and they had all this cheap labor. And then they started involving themselves more in the bureaucratic and administrative functions of the country. So in Guatemala alone, the United Fruit Company had its own, it ran the postal service and the railroads. It paid zero taxes on its land interests. Uh, and it employed, it was the largest landowner and the largest employer in the country. Um, so, and that, is where we get the term banana republic um which oh henry invented of all people their clothes were really great in that country too but very overpriced <laughs> if you really want to do it got to go to gap or perhaps uh, old navy just wait for, just wait for some sales on half.com um and this was pretty much standard operating procedure in latin america united fruit company is one of the main examples and sort of has the 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 worst legacy of this. And so you can read about it in a lot of, uh, Latin American fiction. Uh, the, the immediate example of course, being 100 years of solitude. Um, but, uh, in the, in the early 20th century, they started to install governments. This is a private company that had, uh, you know, a private U S company that had, incredible contacts with the American government and incredible wealth because of their monopoly on the imports that they were uh, sending back to the United States, specifically bananas. And they were able to install dictatorships in a lot of Latin American companies. And in Guatemala, they installed dictators in the 1920s and 30s that basically uh, modeled themselves on European fascists like Mussolini and Hitler, right, and uh, pretty much followed that example to a T. Uh, you know, murdering indigenous peoples and limiting rights of of, uh, of the lower class, and basically running authoritarian authoritarian states. The the dictator who um, was best known for that in Guatemala was Jorge Ubico, who um, mm -hmm. was very racist against some of the indigenous uh, South American people, you know, of, uh, of uh, different descent than the, the European folks. Um, and, you know, he instilled uh, slave labor laws and um, was very friendly to American uh, business interests as well as the, you know, kind of landowning class of Guatemala. So that kind of sets the stage um, for the type of government that America likes to have in Guatemala, which is basically just a bunch of pro-business fascists. Yeah, as repressive as can be. Yeah. Um, and, and while this is the story of Guatemala, uh, the, the story repeats itself all over Latin America in, you know, equally or more troubling ways. Um, but uh, Ubico's main focus was against the Maya, who were indigenous to Guatemala. And these people made up a considerable portion of the poor in uh, in the country and yeah they were just basically made into slaves so the, a united states company that was operating abroad was operating on slave labor in a, in a, in order to make its profits and um another sort of feature that i think it's important to get a background on before we get into the main coup plot is uh this character of edward bernays 
who you may have heard about if you are interested in conspiracies, but Gene is, uh, knows a lot more about him than I do, so I want to hand it off to Gene to give us a little background on Bernays. Uh, that's right, Brian. Edward Bernays was the nephew of Sigmund Freud, and uh, even before Sigmund Freud's theory started to kind of get attention in the United States, uh, Bernays was kind of... Um, they did, they didn't make a movie yet of it, basically. <laughs> No. <laughs> um, but uh, he had made a, a name for himself in his own right, working for the Woodrow Wilson administration. I believe it was the Department of Public Information or Committee of Public Information. I think I think it was just straight up called the Ministry of Propaganda. Might have been the Ministry of Propaganda. Uh, well, Good it's old funny mop. because... <laughs> <laughs> uh, prop mop. Um but uh, he was very influential in kind of coming up with this idea that we could shape uh, American opinion favorably towards entering the war by creating this idea that we were going to bring democracy to Europe. Yeah, this, um, this is World War I we're talking This about. was World War I we're talking about. And uh, after World War I, um, which we won. Um, Hence yeah, World you're, War One. It's not World War Lost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome whoever benefited from that. Yeah. You're welcome, world. And, and just to sort of more contextualize the idea of selling Brian World War I... Brian will quickly explain World War I. <laughs> no, it's just an interesting detail that I like about uh, about Wilson's characterizing um, World War I as... or the U.S. during World War I as the arsenal of democracy and a, and a fight for democracy is that we entered the side of the Allies who um, at that point were a monarchy in the U.K., uh, an authoritarian dictatorship in Russia and a, uh, a parliamentary uh, or a, a presidential system in France where only uh, a, a very small percentage of people could vote. It was actually Germany that had uh, the highest percentage of enfranchised voters, which I always think is very interesting in, in, in the context of Wilson's claims. I don't so. find that interesting. The Germans were bad. Yeah, Brian always <laughs> likes to find subtle ways of like, well, you know what? The Germans were actually not so bad. <laughs> well, you know, Israel technically isn't a state. Oh, Jesus. Oh, man, those are fighting words for Lee. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, Bernays, uh, after the war, um, it was like during one of Wilson's speeches that Bernays is just looking at the huge, roaring support um for Woodrow Wilson, and he started to wonder if um, basically what was propaganda uh, that they had employed to shape opinion in wartime could also be used in peacetime. Uh, but they also knew that the word propaganda was kind of a dirty word because it had such strong negative associations with uh, Germany. Um, so he came up with the term public relations. So <laughs> the whole concept of public relations was invented by Bernays. Uh, and and, uh, and you had mentioned that Bernays was a nephew of um, Sigmund Freud, and he was a Jew himself. Uh, and it's interesting that uh, his works, which um, I know one of them was called Propaganda. I can't remember the names of his other two important books. Uh, Drugs and Fucking. No, it's something like Shaping Public Opinion or something like that. But these books were basically the Bible for Joseph Goebbels in Nazi Germany later in the 30s, and that was how he 
learned how to control the flow of information from the government to a people in order to whip up a frenzy to bring about the holocaust yeah it was i think it was i think it was crystallizing public opinion Mm -hmm. was the book and propaganda was his major book um but anyway uh after the war uh he went he basically started working for uh advertising firms and uh madison avenue the whole madison avenue kind of explosion came known from the tv show mad guys yes (laughs) basically came from bernays's wake uh before then um i mean at the time america has just had this huge explosion of uh mass uh production capabilities but um mass consumption was not keeping pace uh and one of the problems with that was is that the way advertisers basically appealed to um the majority of the population was in strictly practical terms like buy this car it will get you from point a to point b faster than a horse and it will last longer than other cars and so people were buying things built to last and you just didn't they needed people to be buying things before they were breaking down and so he mm-hmm. it was around this time that sigmund freud his uncle gave him his latest book which basically said that human beings were motivated by unconscious sexual and aggressive drives that were left over from their animal ancestors and they were dangerous when they were fully engaged and so he thought like well then maybe we can use this to create a new kind of consumer and after that that's he basically invented the idea of selling a car and um, Based incorpor- on your penis. Yeah, incorporating ideas of sexuality with it. If you buy this car, you're going to get the girl. So there would be commercials where a girl is sitting behind the wheel going, oh, my God, it's so big. How do you handle a car this bit? You know, how do you handle a car like this? Um, so instead of appealing Through safe to- driving practices, obviously. Yeah. So instead of appeals to the intellect, it was appeals to uh, sexuality and the death... C- castration complex you know if you don't buy the zit cream you're gonna die alone i mean it uh, i think the clearest example is uh if you smoke these cigarettes you'll be cool like if if you actively do something that is terrible for you (laughs) you will be cool uh there's a terrific documentary if you want to know more about bernays called the century of the self and one scene in that that's covered is how um it was taboo at the time for women to smoke cigarettes and cigarette companies oh, yeah. saw this as like, well, here's half the population that we're not making money off of. How can we get women to, how do we remove that taboo? And he created this idea of associating smoking with freedom, which was right. like, obviously like kind of an absurd and irrational, but it worked. And, um, the women's suffrage movement was like, I found this terrific ally in basically the American tobacco company. <laughs> Yeah, Bernays is like, we could go pretty deep on Bernays, but uh, because he plays an important role and and probably like his greatest triumph uh, happened around the the coup in Guatemala, it's good to have a a sort of basic understanding of of what his ideas are. Yeah, it helps, Gene. It also helps that you were in that Fiat commercial where you're sitting next to the girl and she's going, oh my gosh, it's so small. There's so much room in my garage. (laughs) I need someone else to fill this room in my garage. You could fit several other cars in this garage. <laughs> also, uh, further evidence that uh, women all this, were... All this gardening equipment and is then so the tires, old. And then the tires on my car slowly deflate. 
Man, why are we mad guys? <laughs> also, that that makes gives me more context for why Marty McFly was so surprised that his mom was smoking in the fifties. I didn't realize it was not socially acceptable for women to do so. Yeah, exactly. That that's really the basis of that movie. Robert Zemeckis was reading Bernays's work, and he wanted he he wanted to really document how influential it was on his thinking, and so he invented the Back to the Future franchise. Right. Originally, the time machine was a refrigerator. Yeah. But <laughs> originally, Eric Stoltz was the uh, head of Guatemala. <laughs> originally, the Germans lost the war. <laughs> Yeah, they had to replace Eric Stoltz because he was giving too much too much land to the people. He kept Eric Stoltz kept trying to go back to Berlin <laughs> to, give, <laughs> to give secrets to the Germans. Um, but so as we were, as we were saying, Guatemala was run by these awful dictatorships that were helped that were propped up by the United Fruit Company until 1944. When uh, what is called the 10 years of spring started and basically Guatemalans organized, especially the, the indigenous Mayans in protest spring break. <laughs> this was known as the October revolution of 44, right? Yeah. Yeah. When it, it seems like October is a good year, a good month for a revolution. Yeah. It's hunts. cool outside. It's weather, weather, the colors are changing. So we can kind of tie that in with the colors of the flag changing. <laughs> I think they, uh, they actually like to hold revolutions in October because it's a really good excuse for people not to come to my birthday party. <laughs> yeah. I can't come to your birthday, Brian. We have to overthrow the dictator. Uh, October 28th, people. I'll just be sitting there. <laughs> um, yeah, they, the the October Revolution, Ubico had been, uh, you know, terrorizing the people for years. And uh, in general, they'd been suffering under decades of repression because of United Fruit Practices. Um, and uh, these people eventually were just through with it. So they overthrew Ubico and installed uh, democratic... Um, uh, democratic controls and had democratic, democratically elected representatives for the next 10 years. And Juan this, Jose Aravela Bermejo, right? Was the first president. Yeah, he was the first one. But then in the 50s, I, oh, I, I can't remember how to pronounce Spanish words. Jacopo Arbenz was elected president. Jacobo Arbenz. <laughs> yeah. Jacobo Arbenz. He was named after the car. And he um, was the guy that we did it not to like because he started um, giving away, uh, selling and giving away some of the land that the, the United Fruit Company had as part of this thing that was called Order 500 or something like 900. That. Order 900, right. And this really pissed off the United Fruit Company because they basically said, no, if you're going to take this land and give it out to the peasants, you have to give us 15 mil. And Guatemala. Well, actually, said, actually, that's that's like the my favorite part of the story, and just how representing how corrupt the United Fruit Company was, because they had been claiming for for ages for tax purposes in the United States that the land that they controlled in Guatemala was worth one million dollars. Can we take one step back? And I think don't we want to mention that a lot? Of, this was unused land that Guatemala that the government was trying to reclaim from. Yeah, five. It was something like the United Fruit Company owned like 70% of the land mm -hmm. in Guatemala, but they were only using 
like a fraction of that. Yeah, it's like, uh, I believe it was 1.5 million acres of land was just going fallow that the government wanted to reclaim and then distribute to the impoverished uh, indigenous peoples and uh, just the the impoverished uh, Guatemalans that needed some sort of leg up. Mm-hmm. And so this Decree 900 was passed, and it did a lot of things uh, in terms of nationalizing services and nationalizing uh, land reform. And uh, the United Fruit Company wasn't very happy about it, and so they had been they had been claiming only one million dollars worth of worth on this land for tax purposes. But when Arbenz tried to reclaim it, they claimed it was actually worth sixteen million, uh, which Guatemala then refused to pay. And about this time, so, so Arbenz was elected in 1951, and this is really when things started to look bad for United Fruit Company investors and shareholders, because basically, this was the, the McCarthy period in America, where there was a horrible uh, communist scare, red scare, and people were afraid of communist countries because of the, the, the Cold War. And Arbenz was not really a communist, and he was barely a socialist. It seems that his political beliefs were actually more just nationalist in nature. Yeah. And, uh, but he was hardly anti-communist. There's only like four yeah. communist representatives in their sort of national the House of Representatives or whatever it was called. And um, he didn't kick him out. He, and he wasn't against communism, and he had some sort of socialist policies like giving away this land. But, you know, the CIA and the U.S. State Department made him out to be, you know, in the pocket of the Soviet bloc. And that- yeah, the, 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 the socialism that he really believed in is just if you look at it through the lens of nationalism, democratically elected uh, representatives of the country who are being repressed by all this money from outside foreign investments and foreign business interests, it seems natural that. The socialism is just a way of resisting those effects. It's not really something Marxist in nature. It's just, oh, this is a way to give more uh, more pride and dignity to the people of Guatemala. He did encourage, you know, labor unions to to un- labor to unionize and uh, kind of move in that direction. But again, I think it was more of a progressive direction than a yeah. overly socialist or co- communist. I think, from our perspective of the Red Scare and even of today, it might seem mm-hmm. more more socialist than than we're comfortable with. But certainly not as uh, you know. Soviet-inspired uh, yeah. as we wanted it to seem at the time, right? And um, if 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 you look at some of the things that the that a lot of places in Latin America, and particularly Guatemala, had been doing during this period of time, a lot of them were uh, influenced by FDR's New Deal, and all those policies have sort of trickled down into into Latin America, and so a lot of the policies under this Decree 900 were, you know, related to sort of similar things that the United States had done itself not 10, 15 years before. Um, but the United Fruit Company wasn't having it. They didn't want to give up the land, and Guatemala wouldn't pay them for the land. And so they realized that they had a problem. And so at at the time that Arbenz took power in 1951, Harry Truman was the president, and he was fairly cautious about these kind of matters. <laughs> like, he wasn't... It, it, it's not even that he was cautious. He was basically, like... Harry Truman left office with, uh, with uh, approval, uh, like... 
polling numbers equivalent to when George Bush, W. Bush left office. So he negative was, numbers. <laughs> yeah. Like in the in the 20s. Like I think they even dipped to the teens at one point. He was seen as not a good president and following, you know, basically 55 years, I believe, of rule under FDR, the American people were used to <laughs> liking their president. It was and, basically like he was like the George Lazenby after years of Sean Connery. They're like, who's this fucking guy? Even though he's pretty good and underrated, get this guy out of here. But we and now we look back at his reign very favorably. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like George Lazenby. We're like, oh, he was actually a really great Bond slash president. It's a <laughs> really Lazenby. perfect analogy. It's a perfect analogy, basically. Uh but yeah, Harry Truman was basically in the tank. He, he, like Korean War was not a very popular war. The economy wasn't doing so well. Uh, and the changes following World War II, even though there was a lot of, um, you know, e- economic success in the United States and employment was high, he was just not well liked. And so he wasn't really willing to get involved in a lot of foreign affairs uh, if he didn't have to. He was and not so very we- handsome. And let's face it, America dislikes handsome presidents or presidents who were generals in wars. Um much like the next yeah, president, Harry. Ike Eisenhower, who follows the <laughs> the great tradition of American presidents that if you win a major war, you become president. George Washington, Ulysses S. Grant, Eisenhower, basically all you have to do is win a war, you get to be president. It's pretty sweet. So does that mean Osama bin Laden is going to be our next president? Uh, he is our president. You didn't realize oh, that okay. Osama bin Laden and Barack Obama are the same person? Oh, I did read that forward from my grandfather. Okay. <laughs> That's why George W. Bush uh, started the Iraq war because he thought if I can lead our country to victory, I maybe they'll president. elect me president. <laughs> because he had to steal the election in 2000. <laughs> Gore v. Bush, 2000. Uh, oh, yeah, save that uh, one for a later episode. Man, and HW is even involved in this one if we really go deep enough. Um, Let's do it. No, not Gundat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, so good. When may president. <laughs> oh man, Dana Carvey is in the uh, studio today. Wow, yeah. the, the master of disguise studio. himself, <laughs> Garth. <laughs> Wasn't his name in that fucking movie like Mustachio Disguisey? Uh, it was very yeah. close to that. Yeah, maybe Pustachio. Fuck. Why do I know this? <laughs> because you took your girlfriend to see it, and then she dumped you. At the end of the movie, it was Fabrizio <laughs> Disguisey. Jesus, named after the popular uh, anti-smell product Febreze, mm-hmm. which is also a person. <laughs> where, where were we? What was happening? We were in oh, yeah. Jesse Ventura makes an uncredited appearance in Master of Disguise. How well deep does this rabbit hole go? I thought you were going to say he uh, makes an appearance in the coup of Guatemala when he was chasing the predator. God, (laughs) I think he did. (laughs) (laughs) We've got to get that predator out of Guatemala. I need these bananas. They should make a movie with him and Fred Dalton Thompson as guys who were both politicians and actors and terrible at both things. (laughs) Hey, Baby's Day Out is a classic of American cinema. (laughs) Good point. What else was Fred Thompson? Was it Thompson or Tom? Fred Dalton Thompson. And he's he's, he's also in Air Force One, I think. Um, No, I think you're thinking of uh, maybe he's in Air Force One. He's definitely in Hunt for Red October. Oh, no, you're thinking of Harrison Ford. 
No. President Ford. No, he's the, he's the guy trying to, like, overthrow Glenn Close. Mm. President like Glenn her, Close. In her capacity as vice president, he's, like, the defense like the secretary the who just wants to... Pull... Yeah, he's, like, the chief of staff. Or Oh, he's the chief of staff and in the line of fire. Yes, he is that. He's always plays, like, the bureaucrat guy's... Um, he, he was in this... he's protecting the best interest of the president, but he is not. Exactly. He plays the president in this, like, direct-to-video propaganda film, um, that's basically, you could get for free on the internet if you ordered it, and I did. It's called, like, Last Line of Defense or something. I have the DVD, and it's basically, like, a crappy TV movie of him as president showing how easy it would be for someone to get nuclear weapons into the United States. And this was, like, before he actually ran for president, and it is... Yeah, what year is this? This is, like, um, probably five or ten years ago. It's great. Wow. I, I'll, I'll find a copy of it, <laughs> and I'll... What is it called? It's called, like, Last Best Defense, or First Best Defense. Wow. Man. When we go to break, I... I'll, I'll find it. I know what I'm watching later tonight. A crappy movie with Fred Dalton Thompson as the president. Oh, uh, Baby's Day Out. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, so when, as I said, uh, 1952, Eisenhower elected. Everybody loves this guy. He's got a big bald dome. He defeated Hitler and to a lesser extent, ex- and to a lesser extent. What am I trying to say? He always had candy when you went to yeah. visit him. Tom Selleck played him in a movie. He briefly lived at Gettysburg. Um, <laughs> what was his address? <laughs> he served in Gettysburg. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Eisenhower was elected president, and he, his, uh, despite his, like, odd end of his presidency speech where he warns about the military-industrial complex. He was pretty his into administra- it. Yeah, his administration was really fucking into it. He was all up in it. <laughs> and they did just a crazy amount of meddling in foreign affairs, as we said earlier, as with Iran and uh, Latin America, all over the Middle East. Uh, it, you know, they were just up to shit. But he was so avuncular. Yeah, he's just a nice old man. But meanwhile, yeah. his, like, second-in-command, his number two, as it were, was Dick Cheney. Um, Dick Cheney. Dick Nixon. <laughs> Dick Cheney's Dick still Nixon. around. Dick, it was Dick Cheney dressed as Richard Nixon in an Anthony Hopkins suit. Um, no, Dick Cheney's brain was in a different jar back then. <laughs> he was in that one from uh, uh, Ninja Turtles. He was in a totally different body. before. This was before he was transplanted into the new body that he uh, inhabited. Oh, yeah. George I rem- W. Bush's administration. I remember those ads when they're like, ooh, you just put your brain from a jar into a bigger body. I can't believe <laughs> it. How do you drive this thing? <laughs> How do you uh, drive this sexy Dick Cheney body? <laughs> <laughs> that Bernays, man. What a fucker. Uh, but yeah, so Eisenhower was elected and... There were some very influential people that had his ear. So, uh, John Foster Dulles was the... Sex God, state. Sex state. Yeah. Uh, he was the John Carey of the era in more ways than one. And his brother, he was Alan Terrible. Dulles. He was also married to a ketchup mogul. <laughs> no, but he uh, he was actually the lawyer for the United, United Fruit Company. Yeah, and him and his brother, Alan Dulles, who later served on the Warren Commission... They, and, was, and as the head of the CIA. And was the head of the CIA at the time, um, until Kennedy fired him um, after Bad Pigs. 
they were both stockholders in the United Fruit Company too. And, yeah, and these and two these are, oh sorry. These two guys were like two of the 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 major proponents of um trying to overthrow the democratically elected um, president in Guatemala because obviously if they're giving away all of this land with you know order 900 or whatever um, it's going to affect their holdings so they had a somewhat less than objective interest and apparently they would even laugh about it they they would kind of you know um, flaunt this to other people that there was this inherent conflict of interest in their their private and public uh, ventures so they really we, ha we have that on record they would laugh about it yeah pretty much <laughs> they would like kind of like roll back in their seats while sucking down really big cigars like in that 80s t uh, uh, anti-tobacco commercial that said we're not in this business for our health <laughs> this is your brain this is your brain on CIA mind control drugs Get the uh, nothing that, happens. Another another person <laughs> who had uh, significant financial holdings in the United Fruit Company was Henry Cabot Lodge, the ambassador to the United Nations, who later became uh, the running mate for uh, Richard Nixon in 1960. In 1960, yeah. So there's all these powers at work that basically are unhappy with Guatemala. There's a new president in town who's more than willing to go after it. And it was looking very bad for President Arbenz and the Guatemalans. So I think at this point we'll take a little break. And when we come back, we will describe exactly what happened in 1954 in Guatemala. We'll be right back with the title of that Fred Dalton Thompson TV movie where he plays the president that's distributed by a conservative think tank. <laughs> Follow the free DVD. <laughs> this is the first time in the history of the world that the communist government has been overthrown by the people. Guatemala is going to enter a new era in which there will be prosperity for the people together with liberty for the people. All right, uh, we are back to talk about the 1954 coup in Guatemala, but I believe first we have a little piece of information from Lee about a certain actor and his DVD. Uh, yeah, so we were talking about a former congressman and representative on the Watergate hearing committee um, and um, American film actor um, and presidential nominee Fred Dalton Thompson. Don't forget, uh, hero. He's he's a, he's a hero. <laughs> Um, so he's always like he's always running for um, either running for conservative office or he is playing a conservative guy in office. Or he's frankly, playing the chief even... of staff. Let's just he's always the chief of staff. Or he's looking for that ba damn baby who's having a great day out. <laughs> <laughs> and occasionally he plays the president himself, uh, as in this film that I heard about on the Internet. And it's called Last Best Chance. And it's called... Um, by the 9-11 Commission Chair and Vice Chairs, a wake-up call for America and the world. Um, and uh, this is what Last Best Chance is. Last Best Chance is based on facts. Some events depicted may have already happened. Some may be happening now. I'm pretty sure Fred Dalton Thompson's not president. All <laughs> may happen in the future if we don't act to prevent them. And this is provided by the NTI which stands for National Treasure Nash uh, Institute Nuclear Threat Initiative. Oh. 
Um, mm. And yeah, and it, it says that it's starring Fred Dalton Thompson, Law and Order, Cape Fear, The Hunt for Red October. Doesn't mention that he was also actually a representative of the U.S. government, but <laughs> whatever. And it's about Al Qaeda smuggling. Well, that's one of his minor roles, right? Um, the best part about this that he I really totally forgot. Yeah. <laughs> he did it for the money. <laughs> um, I totally. Cha-ching! So the the Cha-ching. DVD comes in like a kind of an envelope that has like your address on it, so they mail it to you kind of in the envelope. Yeah, and see, that's I... how the mail works. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the DVD case and the envelope. I'll, I'll Twitter a picture of it, but. So the best part is I forgot that I was so embarrassed that I ordered this that I ordered it under a pseudonym, even though it was free. D. Lolden. The pseudonym is Rabbi Alec Harrison. <laughs> I think that's a great name. That's a perfectly okay. It's a perfectly apt and, pseudonym. And I'm trying to think of where I came up with this, but it actually just came into my mind. So Alec Baldwin. Alec Heidel. Well, Alec Baldwin is the first person to play Jack Ryan in Hunt for October. And Harrison, <laughs> Harrison Ford, Ford is the second guy to play him. It, come on, Lee, get through this. You can do it. So my pseudonym, and I'm cheap, so I'm getting free DVDs, so my pseudonym is Rabbi Alec Harrison. Uh, that's a pretty Gentile name for a rabbi, don't you think? Is that uh, is that the name you're going to use when you order your man liquor calcano when you finally go and sell? No, it's going to be yeah. Alec Affleck. <laughs> or no, Affleck who's Pines. the new guy? Alec so anyway, uh, James Kirk. Last best chance. Um, get it. Get it. Five stars. Um, I would give it. Um, yes, I would give it four stars. Out of four stars, in the same way that Leonard Malton gave Olympia and Triumph of the Will four stars in his Leonard what? Malton what? movie book. Um, in that oh, they are said, mo- movies that Leonard... are... Wait, oh, he gave Olympus Has Fallen four stars? Olymp- Olymp- Olympia is a Lenny Riefenstahl Nazi documentary, Gene. Oh. Uh, okay, so it's it's May 1954. And because of the influence of certain people like Henry Cabot Lodge and uh, the the Dulles Bros, man, that would be a shitty video game. Dulles Bros. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they get transported to a fanciful world where they have to save a princess from an evil red monster. Come on, communism. Brian, you wouldn't play that video game. I'd, I'd watch my friend play it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I would give you the second controller and say, here, Brian, you're the bad guys. But you wouldn't plug it in. Just like, let him think he's controlling the bad guys. It's not working. Controller error. I'd get really excited when my babysitter came over because she could beat the game. Man, Banger used to get so pissed off at the Back to the Future video game on Nintendo that he would throw away his Nintendo. Oh, man. That was the shittiest video game ever. It is. He didn't even go back in time. What? You like didn't even go back. It was like it was like Paperboy. Like you walked all over a neighborhood collecting clocks to go back in time, presumably. <laughs> but you never actually go back in time. The old, hey, I go back into time to the 1980s every time I think about it. Oh, <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> I'm I'm glad we. T- I'm really glad we took that digression. That paper, all right, that 1954 May, the United States government. Having been influenced by the Dulles Brothers and Henry Cabot Lodge and other very influential uh, um, 
uh, like politicians and government officials who had stake in the United Fruit Company were ready to strike on Guatemala. But the way that they had gotten to do this was from a little help from our friend from the first part of the show, Edward Bernays. And uh, the United Fruit Company had hired him to really put the screws on Guatemala and sell the idea that Guatemala was a horrible communist country. And so he went about in, in inventing all of this propaganda in order to make up stories about our bents and things that he was doing. And so they started to sell stories to new newspapers full cloth uh, about how the Soviet Union was trying to ship arms to Guatemala and about how the Soviet Union was providing farm tools to Guatemala and how uh, our bents was in bed with, you know, the Stalinist government of the Soviet Union, all these sorts of stories that made people start to think, Hey, Guatemala seems like a communist threat in our back door. And you know, that's the phrase that they kept using. In a larger, backyard, yeah, in a larger sense, Brian, Bernays was, I mean, even going back uh, further, he was very instrumental in making communism a scary thing. Um, yeah. Because it wasn't something that I people thought too much about. Like, what did it mean to us that other countries were, you know, self-determining their governments? Um, so he was kind of like the whole, I, he didn't come up with, Reds the Red Scare idea, you know, specifically, but he was very instrumental in making communism uh, a, a bad word in America. Yeah, yeah, he was like that older guy that you knew at college who smoked you out the first time, and he was just like, "Man, what does it all mean?" My dad really, really got you thinking. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> your dad. Yeah, and and when they said that they thought that the communist threat was or the communist bloc was posing a threat to America's back door. Um, it was mis, it was misunderstood that we thought that, uh, that the communists were going to ask us to do anal, but we didn't want to seem prude, but we didn't want to do it. Yeah, we, we, we hadn't been in the relationship long enough to really justify them throwing kind of back door. Right. I did mean backyard. I'm very sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I did mean that joke. But, uh, but Bernays did things like he established, uh, fake NGOs and private companies in Guatemala that started releasing, um. NGO stands for, uh, Neo Geo Operation. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't Contra take place in Guatemala in 1954? Uh -huh. Yeah. No, Contra mm. takes place in Nicaragua. No. Oh. oh, good point. It takes place in Iran, actually. Thanks for that actual fact, you idiot. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for being stupid. Ugh, when it comes to video games, when it comes to video games, Gene always has the facts. He always has the controller. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they, they they started releasing press releases about the communist uh, activities that the Arbenz government was engaging in. They started to interview um, uh, business owners and other uh, influential. Um, Guatemalans around the country and really displaying these fake communist beliefs that a lot of people had. And he also employed right-wing students to go around in Guatemala doing things like sending Arbenz death threats every day. Yeah, they would or... send him death notices, actually, to him and his yeah. supporters. And it's like, hello, you are going to die. Um, another thing they did is they set up a fake radio station in Florida, I believe. 
And they started doing these broadcasts that were like, oh, we're out in the jungle with the revolutionaries trying to take down the government in Guatemala. But it was actually just a bunch of pre-recorded crap um, in Florida. Yeah. The, I think my uh, my favorite thing that they did was just sending kids out with posters that said um, – a communist live he lives here. Yeah. And then they would just arbitrarily put them up. Just to scare town. the shit out of people. Yeah, just to scare the shit out of people. Both the people that lived there as well as uh, the people that would see the signs. And that kid um, grew up to become Mayor Viragosa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I get that joke. I do, too. Brian knows the mayors of all cities. Yeah, I know the mayors of all cities, please. Uh, Mike Brian tries Mike to vote the... in every mayoral election. <laughs> yeah, it's called committing a felony, Gene. <laughs> Look into it. But, uh, so the United States was I- interested in quite a few different rebel figures. Uh, these were businessmen or former uh, pol- politicians in Guatemala, as well as former military men, or active military men, as it were. And the person that they really looked to was this guy, Carlos Castillo Armas, who was leading a uh, a rebel army on either side of Guatemala in both Honduras and uh, Nicaragua. Nicaragua. Yeah. yeah, and so he had, you know, some kind of this piss-poor rebel faction. He was kind of a braggart. He had spoiled some of the surprise factor of the... Um, of the idea of a coup by bragging about it to other governments in Latin America. Yeah, they had to postpone it for a while, right? (laughs) Yeah. 53, I think. Yeah, he was basically just just bragging about how he was going to, you know, invade Guatemala with the help of the CIA, which uh, isn't how they like things to go in uh, the company. He was basically like Jeremy from Big Brother. Um, He was kind of spoiling the fact that the moving company was going to take over the house. What is CIA in Spanish? C E Ah, yeah. See, he probably thought, and they they won't know that I'm talking about them. (laughs) But uh, but um, so the CIA started shipping him arms, and he he eventually had quite a lot of arms, like tons and tons. He was basically an octopus. As well as the, ah! uh, was, yeah, I'm just, I'm just skipping right over that. Actually, the United Fruit Company's nickname in Latin America was, was the, the octopus. octopus. Yeah. That was pretty bad. Oh, okay, so that's not a bad joke. So, uh, Castillo had a mercenary army on either, on either side of Guatemala, and then the United States Navy blockaded the country. And Including is, French and, uh, English yeah. ships, but they kind of yeah. just looked the other way because they didn't want us to stop them from their meddling in the Middle East at the time. Which we eventually just did anyway. Right. Well, it's the Middle East. We love meddling in there almost as much as we love meddling in South America. Almost as much as we love meddling anywhere. <laughs> uh, but uh, but so, yeah, so there's a blockade. The Guatemalan economy was being squeezed. Uh, I actually watched a, a YouTube video where they were interviewing an old CIA uh operative and he was just like yeah we just basically waged a campaign of terror we wanted to act like the germans did during world war ii scaring the shit out of people yeah just like wow when you're comparing your tactics to the nazis maybe you should reconsider what you've chosen to do with your life i mean that's pretty much the the sop for the cia it's like all right yeah let's just be like nazis because um 
they were pretty good at this awful shit. If we want to get good <laughs> at it, we better start. Basically, yeah. this whole thing just sounds like the plot of Phantom Menace. There's a blockade. They're flying some, they flew some planes up above. Two Jedi come to negotiate. They think they're dead, but they've never encountered a Jedi before. So they don't have to deal with it. Liam Neeson doesn't know who you are, but he's going to find you. Right. There's terrible ch- child acting. Yeah, by Viragosa. <laughs> um, we should get into the fact that our old pal Howard Hunt is there, um, of Watergate break-in fame. Um, yeah, you love to get into some Hunt. Dude, Hunt, I'm always on the Hunt for Hunt. Hunt is like, Hunt is, is one of my favorite characters of the whole Cold War, just because he is... He's like, where's Waldo? He's everywhere. He is like a real-life secret agent, and then he also wrote books about a secret agent, and he's basically the inspiration for the character of the cigarette-smoking man uh, yeah. in The X-Files, who is like a secret agent who also writes books. When you were a kid, Lee, and you would play Cold War, you would always call playing Howard Hunt. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'd always get to hold the controller for Howard Hunt. Yeah. <laughs> Player two. Uh, Number one was yeah. Fred Dalton Thompson. And it was Brian, the water would the, game. Brian would play the Guatemalans. Yeah. I'm just sitting here hoping I get some land. <laughs> so, yeah, they brought in Hunt to run the operation out of Mexico. So he was uh, he was pretty key in uh, in running a lot of the, the propaganda uh, going on there. It should be... It should be pointed out that this was never intended on being like a real military operation. I mean, he only had like... Castillo. Castillo only had like 400 and some odd guys. Is he Castilian? Um, Why is there a... I just like saying Castillo. Castillo. No, it's the... the, You don't do it on the S. You do it on a Z Z or a C. Just shut the fuck up, Lane. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Anyway... Castillo, um, he only had like 400 and some odd men. They were, they, they were moving on foot. They were not a very effective force. So. Yeah, some of the, some of the, some of the battles that eventually happened during the coup are just fucking ridiculous. Like, a force of almost 200 mercenaries were defeated by 30 Guatemalan army troops. Yeah, because they were actually like real troops. Yeah. Um, and they had they gotten were kind of like of... the mighty ducks in that sense. They were yeah. a true underdog story. Yeah, they kept yelling, ducks fly together. <laughs> They kept making sequels for no goddamn reason. So our Benz actually got some arms. It was former Wehrmacht arms. That... Well, it's it's so crazy because they were they were accused of receiving arms from the Soviet Union. But it was from the Czechs it... or something, right? Yeah, but then it turned out to be a self fulfilling prophecy because eventually our Benz realized that he was going to be invaded, and so he did get arms from a Soviet Union satellite state. Yeah. See, we were right. Yeah, the whole thing was justified. End of story. We, it was a future truth. Mm-hmm. It was a minority report. <laughs> yeah. So those Wehrmacht arms that that he had got from the uh, Soviet re- uh, Republic, it was I think it was the Czechs. Um, originally, he was going to give that out to a bunch of peasants and stuff, and he said, "No, no, actually, we'll just give it to the army guys." And then the army guys ended up turning against him. So yeah, they, that's the, that 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 was probably a better decision though in the end yeah. because. When you're about to fight a war, Should give handing this, give all them. the weapons to random dudes who have no education versus people that are trained in military tactics, I'm going to go with the guys who are trained in military yeah, tactics. Yeah, as opposed to guys who look down the barrel of the gun to see why the bullet isn't coming out. 
Brian, you've obviously never seen Red Dawn. Otherwise, you would know that that is bullshit. You want to give as many arms to the Brat Pack as possible, and they will help take the country back from the Cubans and the Soviets. Well, well, that's exactly what the CIA figured out. They started to hand guns off to uh, football team or wrestling to Jennifer teams. Gray and one of the Estevezes. <laughs> yeah, pre-op Jennifer Gray. Yeah, we, so we could still recognize her before we put baby in a corner. Um, so anyway, um, in actuality, um, the the it was more about scare tactics. They had um, a bunch of American planes were flying above Guatemala. And dropping bombs and scaring the shit out of people. Um, there was all this stuff on the radio. They were dropping leaflets. They were trying to get people in the army to defect um, against um, Art Benz. And, um, and it was it was around this time that Art Benz launched a formal complaint with the United Nations. Yes, where where as I as I said earlier in the show, Henry Cabot Lodge, who was the United States ambassador to the United Nations, gave a speech. It was like. Hey, uh, it's not that I own stock in the United Fruit Company or anything. But if I but, did. But uh, the Soviet Union should not be involved in uh, the goings-on of this, of this hemisphere. The scary so... thing is that no, none of the countries objected. Um, none of the countries stood with Guatemala when our bands went to the UN, except for Russia. Um, yeah, the... they, ba- they basically determined in the UN that the official uh, uh, resolution was that the situation was a domestic problem. That the United Nation <laughs> right. need not get involved with. But dude, didn't that Russian, um, that Russian representative, didn't he just look like such like a Russian bad guy from a James Bond movie who's just, like sitting there <laughs> in front of his little USSR placard, just kind of like twirling his little thing, going, "Yeah, fuck you, Henry Cabot Lodge, you suck my balls." Yeah, he was really upset because Praxis had just exploded. <laughs> Don't wait for the translation. Answer me now. <laughs> <laughs> that was just for you, Lee. Nobody Thanks. else is gonna enjoy that. I didn't. I mean, Christopher Plummer listens to our show, and uh, I know he will enjoy it. Um, but so, so basically, wait—is he dead? All, I think he's dead. Uh, he, I think he's alive. Oh, all, okay. all the cards, all the cards were stacked against our bents, and eventually the army turned on him, as, as Lee was saying, and he he resigned. He he left office, and he evacuated his family to Mexico. He put another guy in office for one day, and then the, yeah. the other guy. They said, okay. Um, if you kill these 25 communists, if you execute them, then we'll know you're chill. And he's like, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. And so then they came in with guns and said, get the fuck out of here. We're, we're putting it Castillo. Right? Yeah. Yep. And, uh. Savage. Our Benz went to Mexico where he lived in exile until 1971. And, uh, as soon as, as soon as, uh, Castillo took, took power, uh, there was some minor fighting, but uh, he immediately reversed all of the Decree 900 um, yeah. laws. He took away voting rights from half of the population. He started to, uh, you know, make himself wealthy. He was assassinated, wasn't he? With the... Yeah, and then he was assassinated a couple years later. And then there was a crazy 30-year-long yeah, Guatemala like Civil our... War, which is like a whole other episode. Yeah, our Civil War lasted for four years, and was pretty bad. The Guatemalan Civil War <laughs> ended in the 90s. It was it went on for more than 30 years, uh, which is just crazy. Well, Guatemalans it, it, are lazy. Well, oh, Jesus it's, really, Christ. it's really the Mayans, because they were the ones who really suffered the brunt of it. And there were, you know, American-trained death squads, the first modern death squads in Latin America, and they went around arresting 
Mayan political activists and Mayan leftists uh, arresting. They just took them and murdered them in the them, middle yeah. of the night. Left them in the street, basically. There's... Or, or left them in the street, or uh, more common was that they would drop them out of helicopters, which, you know, that doesn't really attract a lot of attention when you helicopter over the Gulf of Mexico and just start chucking bodies out. Well, they would just play that song, It's Raining Men. Oh, God. Oh. To, to make people feel better about it. Do we have to yeah, cut that people one? people loved it. <laughs> Dude, Jesus people Christ. hate that song almost as much as they hate dead bodies falling out of helicopters. Yeah, that's a pretty nah, annoying Hom- song. Homer loves it. Yes. Homer also loves nacho hats. Yeah, I think Homer loving it is supposed to be an indictment on it. Oh, right. man, I've been interpreting that show incorrectly I know Brian keeps buying all the things that Homer endorses yeah my favorite TV characters are Homer and George Costanza they always make the right move when, when you first started losing your hair you just started drawing zigzags on the back of your skull <laughs> uh, it started so long ago um, but yeah so it was a horrible a horrible civil war uh, 2.5% of the population died which I did some math and the equivalent in the United States today, of losing 2.5% of the population is like a couple hundred dudes. Like, <laughs> that would make it like, so much what? easier to get into college. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like, uh, I think it's like uh, 7 million people. If just 7 million people died. Uh, it's just horrible. It makes and the so, lines uh, of the DMV a little less long, but yeah, it's pretty terrible. Yeah. Uh, no, but, uh, but so it was, it was a really terrible situation for... Um, for the Guatemalans, and they only got democracy back in the 90s, and by then their infrastructure was totally ruined. Uh, the um... But let's talk about the good side of it, which was bananas for Americans. Yeah, Americans enjoyed bananas until 2002 when Chiquita declared bankruptcy. I mean, look how cheap bananas are. You can get a bunch of bananas for like four or five bucks. Hey, don't forget coffee. That's also pretty cheap. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you want to pay... At Trader Joe's... You can get them for 19 cents, and they say, that's bananas. Yeah, you could be paying 6 or $7, you know, for bananas. I get them for free at work. For free. And that's all thanks to the, Un- that's all thanks <laughs> to the United Fruit Company. Yeah, so United Fruit eventually became uh, Chiquita after it went through a bunch of different names. And actually, uh, at one point, George H.W. Bush was involved in uh, in trying to bid and take over Chiquita with some of his business interests. And uh, he, he did not succeed, but there have long been rumors that the United Fruit Company is basically just the CIA in Latin America. Uh, so, there it is. They still... They well, still you engage... can't spell Chiquita without C-I-A. Nice. I thought you were going to say also, you can't quit. spell without HW, but I was going to be like, yeah, it's pretty pretty untrue. Wait a minute. United Fruit Company, U-N-I-T-E-D-F-R-U-I-T-C. Oh, yep, CIA. It's also in United Fruit Company as well. Well, that just that, about wraps it up. Yeah, that that pretty much that pretty much determines it. Uh so I'm going to I'm going to just ask real quick. Gene, 1954 coup in Guatemala, inside job or not? Um, I feel like the Guatemalans brought it on themselves. Why? Because they just didn't give us the bananas that we wanted. Those they knew how they knew how much we liked them, and then they tried to jack up the price. 
by demanding a living wage. <laughs> no, they weren't demanding a living wage. They were just demanding an end to slavery. Yeah, well, same thing. So, and Lee, what do you think? 1954 Guatemala coup. The Guatemala coup uh, was a massive inside job that um, included propaganda, um, gun running, um, bombings, lies, deceit, and um, lots and lots of people and conspiring. So therefore it would be a conspiracy and it was an inside job done by our own government um with our own tax dollars yeah there it is what about you brian what do you think you're on the fence i was really not paying attention (laughs) it's okay he doesn't really care what you think i I kind of forgot what everybody was talking about yeah that's all right you were playing with the second controller (laughs) <laughs> I was waiting for my turn to come in and control the show. I just like to watch you guys play. <laughs> yeah, we just give you a keyboard that's not plugged in and you watch us record. <laughs> I haven't been recording this whole time either. Uh, all right, so we're going to take a little break and then we'll come back to wrap up the show. Wrap it up. We'll be right back on Back to the Future, the video game. What we wanted to do was have a terror campaign uh, to terrify our bench particularly terrify his his troops much as the german stuka bombers terrified the population of, of uh, holland uh, belgium and uh, and poland at the onset of world war ii and just rendered everybody paralyzed all right everyone i want to say thank you for listening to this show i thought we did a really great job yeah, probably as good a job as the cia did in overthrowing the democratically elected government wow that's some pretty high praise brian I mean, they did a really good job overthrowing Guatemala. <laughs> they did such a good job. That's basically A. You're basically giving us an A+. plus. Yeah, I'd say A+, plus on this app. I mean, the Guatemala coup is definitely on the CIA refrigerator. Yeah, they they definitely got uh, to go to Pizza Hut that night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they put all, all right, of guys. the sodas into one cup together. <laughs> All right, guys, my favorite part about doing the show is the fans, and we have... You like to do the fans? I wish. They turn me away every single time I ask. (laughs) Or no, they agree to it, and then they cancel plans right in the middle of the show. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, so we got a call from Tristan from Detroit, who you might remember... Is is, he a bookstore guy? Yeah, he's a bookstore guy, and he has... A doozy of a bookstore story. Oh, man, we started the episode with doozy, and we're rounding it out with a doozy. Hey, guys, it's Tristan from Detroit again. I was going to tell you about the latest bookstore, not so good, the lady I got. I was talking to this lady and her daughter, and she was very into books on the Bible codes, which is the hidden messages within the Hebrew and, I'm guessing, New Testament Bibles. And... She was very enthusiastic that they were all being bought up, so she couldn't get them. So there's a conspiracy within this conspiracy. But my favorite part was when she pointed at the one author I did have and said, that guy's crazy. <laughs> Clearly in contrast to herself, as not that crazy. <laughs> nervous and semi-hyperventilated he sounded like he was telling this, <laughs> us that from under a desk. He sounded like Jeff Goldblum 
telling Laura Dern how to <laughs> turn the power back on at Jurassic Park. I think he, because he works at this bookstore, I think he probably breathlessly ran into the break room, called us, and then ran back. So he was he was really excited, but he didn't want to get caught by a supervisor. And Gene, we can discuss sexism and survival situations later, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Bravo. Uh, so Gene, you probably know the most about the Bible. Uh, I thought you were going to say you- Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, AKA that's clear. the Bible. That would be like a competition between the three of us to see. Uh, look above you. Uh, uh, there should be uh, several cables running over. Uh, follow <laughs> those cables. Uh, so, Gene, what do you know about the Bible code? Um, the, there's a uh, well, you know the the kind of like um, the Hebrew versions of the Bible. Uh, and, and they're like kind of being secrecy and codes goes back basically to the early Christian era um, because Christians thought that Jews 1970s. Were... Yeah. Well, there's yeah, a, the early Christian like, slaters. It's a very old theory that um, uh, the Jews were trying to change the Bible um, to reflect more favorably upon them. Uh, or to hide certain things from Gentiles. Because the fact that it said that we were God's chosen people was not reflecting favorably enough on us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think they were trying to cover for the part where they killed the Lord. Yeah, basically, to right, to, uh, it was like a theory that they were trying to, like, disconnect the, uh, prophecies of the coming Messiah from whatever Christ- Christians thought, uh, were manifested by they oh, wanted Jesus. to make sure Greedo shot first. By Jesus Christ, yeah. Um, <laughs> I I don't know a ton about the uh, the secret, whatever the secret codes. I guess if you watch the movie Pi, you can learn more about it. <laughs> well, uh, some one of the more famous modern day Bible code dudes is this guy who has com- created this computer algorithm that he runs through the Bible. And uh, it finds examples of, like, embedded terminology related to things that already happened. So, for instance, uh, he released the Bible Code in, like, the late 90s. And it was about, like, look at this. It predicted Hitler. And then right after 2000 or right after 9-11, he ran it again. And he was like, oh, 9-11 was also in the Bible. I just didn't catch it before. Right, yeah, that's right. He because he broke down uh, all the Hebrew in, into numbers, and it's like yeah, put you it in can like circle a the nine. Yeah, it's like one of those like word searches where you can. It's like oh look, here's nine eleven oh one. That must have meant something, you know. <laughs> like he finds the dates, but not the explanation of the dates. Yeah, all Hebrew letters actually already represent a number, so he didn't really do anything. Sixty nine. Sixty nine. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. The entire Torah is just 69 over again, with an occasional 420. Um, yeah, I mean, That's why Jews are so popular, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, also the films of Woody Allen. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing about Bible codes. If Bible codes are predicting awful things all the time, then why aren't we fucking stopping them? Why are they still happening? Because it's because, because not enough people believe in the Bible. Yeah, not enough people. <laughs> okay, are right. Because like I'm gonna predict that I will shit my pants if I don't shit. So therefore, maybe I shit if, and it if, doesn't happen. Maybe if more people read the Bible, we would find out. I mean, look, I think, 
I love the Bible. I like the Bible in the same way that I like the uh, the original series of Star Trek. It's got some great stories with some great lessons, but I do not want to go to the conventions. Have you seen those people? Lee, didn't you dress up as James Kirk to go to a baseball game? Oh, I'm dressed up as James Kirk right now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I want to thank Tristan for calling in. If you would like to tr- call into our hotline to tell us about anything conspiracy related or your opinion on the show, or uh, if you would like to let me hold controller two, <laughs> please please call our hotline. It is 413-225-1963. You can always email us as well, insidejobscast at gmail.com. I get a lot of emails from this guy, Jesse, who's basically our super fan. He points out a lot of crazy news stories about conspiracies that I miss, and so that's really cool. good. Uh, you can also tweet at us. Follow us on Twitter, at insidejobscast. Uh, I would like to thank the following twitter pals that we have at in underscore erdman which is nerdman she said next time she's gonna come to new york she really wants to make plans with me and then cancel them nice so it's nice to know that our fans don't like me as much as my friends don't like me oh man brian just sit back and watch the canceled plans roll out (laughs) (laughs) and then gabriel at zombie babies uh, he tried to tell John Cusack about the show. He asked, he added John Cusack and said, hey, have you reviewed Inside Jobs on iTunes? I encourage Gabriel to keep, to keep at that. Yeah. Keep on John Cusack until he does it. <laughs> and then, and then move on to Victoria Jackson. Right. Because I think we could have some really, really heavy, heavy hitting Hollywood professionals. I feel like we could get Victoria Jackson on the show. I feel like we could get Victoria Jackson to do anything, like to go run and get groceries for us, to make pl- to make plans with you. Even, <laughs> yeah, she probably wouldn't cancel them because she doesn't know how to use a phone. Yeah, uh, but yeah, if you want to follow us on Twitter at Inside Jobscast, um, and then you, if you also want to rate us on iTunes like John Cusack has done, just get on there. <laughs> It's super it's super easy. Just jump on. Boom. Five stars. You just click a button. Oh, uh we got the I got a couple texts from Banger. You guys want to hear some texts from Banger? Yeah, let's get these texts. Okay. Um Christina says you're gee. Um mm. Chris, Clear and Present Danger is on. I'm working from home today. Such a good movie. Shit. <laughs> so that's updates from Banger. He just wanted to let us Man, know. Man, that. that just said everything. That just summed up Banger. Uh, yeah, so there's, there's an update from Banger. I got an update from my friend Kathy who says that she really likes the show, but she often listens to it drunk and can't really follow what we're saying. So It's okay, we're usually drunk when we're recording it. The only reason I'm not is I'm horribly hungover from a James Bond-themed bachelor party I was at last night, and I woke up this morning half on a love seat. Wow, well there's that too. Yeah. Lee's just leading a life. And I have yep. a non-update from my family. Uh, I was getting lots and lots of praise from family members all over the country uh, on the show, right up until that episode we did about me having a micro penis, and then uh, the feedback just fell off a cliff. I, I wonder why. Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah. Well, huh. Gene, you were, you were hearing your dad talking about um, how great you were. Um, but then you realize he was just talking about how great he is because you have the same name. Yeah, I thought, yeah. Turned out he was speaking in the third person. Right. 
It's when it was when yeah, it's when he's when he said how good you were in the stuff that you realized, ah, damn it. Yeah, I was like, thanks, Dad. I was good in the. Wait a minute. <laughs> when they reboot that shit, they better be knocking on your door. Yeah, you have to have a Gene O'Neill in there. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you very much for listening to the show. We will be back next week with a micro-sode. Until then, follow the money. Ooh.